Another breath in. Breath out. So this Advent, we're doing a lesson about Advent. And thus far, what we've seen is this. Advent, like the Feast of Christmas, and Lent, like the Feast of Easter, are part of an ancient rhythm of celebration that is older and broader even than the Christian tradition. It goes all the way back into the Jewish tradition. It goes broadly into even other traditions. Organizing our year around celebratory festivals has been the way that we human beings have honored some of the deepest truths that there are. In their original design, the holy days or holidays were intended not to boost the economy and to give merchants what they need for the coming year, but they were intended to boost the soul and to give the soul what the soul needs for the coming year. We celebrated during these times of year because of a great need that we had during the interim times. There were things that we needed to see in order to live well, and so we set apart these times in order to help us see those things and live well. As we said again in worship this morning, because the text once again called us to focus on this truth, our tradition does not shy away from the frightening. Our tradition does not shy away from the terrible, does not stay away from the painful, awful things that happen in life. War happens. Murder happens. Car accidents, as we experienced this week with Scott's daughter, happen. Famine and drought happen. The anguish of personal rejection, the sense of loss, deep grief, all of these things happen. And it has been neither the Jewish way nor the Christian way to deny that these things do indeed happen. Now, through the centuries, there is a cyclical pattern in which we lose sight of that reality There is a recurring aberration that comes up in the faith again and again and again through the centuries. We call it triumphalism. What it basically means is that the idea of God can be reduced to a genie in a bottle. And that is, if you do the right thing, if you say the right prayer, if you get the right configuration of holiness in your life, or if you do the right stuff, then God will step in and save you from the bad stuff and make the good stuff happen for you. But even though this aberration crops up through the centuries regularly enough that some have come to think that that is actually an authentic expression of the faith, it is not. It is not the way that we in our tradition have understood life. Rather, it has been our way to insist that when the painful things happen, when the terrible thing happens, when disease or financial ruin or tragedy of the highest order, when these things happen to us, even then, God is good and we are safe. Even then, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control are ours to experience. Even then, the very fruit of the indwelling divine in the midst of the hardships is always available to us, always present and always accessible. Paul said it in one of his texts this way, I have come to understand that when I am abased, and he had plenty of abasing, shipwrecked, beaten, distorted in his body and in his heart, 
rejected and abandoned, when I'm abased, and when I abound, when everything is just going well, I have found the peace of God within my heart. That has been our understanding, that when you find the divine center and are present to that divine life that indwells us, even then, in the midst of troubles, life is ours to have. Well, the implication of that is that hope is always a reasonable truth to cling to. The implication of that is that optimism always rings true to the human experience. The implication of that is that promise always trumps impossibility and hope always trumps hopelessness. And, as we've seen these last two weeks, it has always been the centerpiece of our tradition to hold on to hope as one of the greatest virtues. It has been our way to pursue hope, not to wait passively for it to descend upon us somehow, but begin to go after hope, begin to build practices into our lives that begun, begin to stir hope to us with an intentionality and purposefulness to go after hope. This has been our way. The promise of hope is the deepest part of the human heart. So, each year, as the seasons change, we give ourselves to the pursuit of this bedrock reality, the truth upon which the peaceful soul rests. It has been our way to give ourselves to the quest for hopefulness, the quest for faith, the quest for faithfulness. And one of the vehicles that we have used through these centuries to help us focus our attentiveness has been these annual times of celebration. As we said last week, wisdom is a subtle teacher. The divine voice is a still and small one. The greater truths are easily missed. And even though hope is truth, though it is one of the greatest of all truths, even though our very existence speaks of its efficacy, even though our very existence tells us that those who went before us and hoped did not hope in vain, those who went before us and hoped when the dark times came and when the crops failed and when the wives died in childbirth and when the husbands were killed in the field, that hope that they held even in the darkness was not a hope held in vain. For you and I are here speaking to the truth in which they hoped. That being so, even so, it is not an easy truth to see. And so the ancients designed a year around seasons of feasting and celebration to help us pay attention to these great truths, to help us hear the wise lessons that are taught us by the earth and the skies. The annual calendar has been left for us to honor the great teachers of the earth and the sky. In Romans 1, Paul tells us that if you want to know the nature of God, that unknowable, uncontainable reality, if you want to know the nature of God, look at the nature of the earth in which we live. It will speak to you of the ways of the divine. Psalm 19 says that the skies are our teachers, 
The planets in their rotation, the axis of the earth, regularly instructs us. I love how the message translates that passage. It says, every day Professor Sun gives forth lessons. Every night Madam Moon offers her lessons, speaks to us. These things declare the nature of the divine. They are our revered and honored teachers. But since wisdom is a subtle voice, our holy days were designed to help us pay attention. They were designed and built with a two-step process, preparation we saw and celebration. Preparation and celebration. A time for reflection and a time for festival. A time to lay the groundwork and a time to blow the roof off. That's the rhythm we saw. Preparation and celebration. Advent, preparation, the feast of Christmas, celebration. Lent, preparation, the feast of Easter, celebration. Celebrating hope in the darkness at the winter equinox, which is today, by the way. And celebrating new life when the earth begins to emerge in springtime. In the time of the equinox, we speak of the hope of the Christ child. In the time of the spring coming to earth, we tell the story of the new life that is found in Christ. Well, if you've been paying attention these last two Sundays as we've talked about this ancient rhythm, you have no doubt recognized that the ancient template for celebration bears very little resemblance to the way that the average American celebrates the holidays. As so often happens as the years go by, the core reason behind the tradition gets lost somewhere in the mix. And when we lose our moorings, when we lose the orientation that we bring to why we do what we do, we tend to maintain the ancient forms and do the stuff we've been doing, but losing the intent behind them, we tend to drift. Without intent, we simply start to move sideways a little bit, and we don't realize why we're doing what we're doing, so we do it a little differently and a little bit too much. Or we do it a little differently and we do it not quite enough. Or we do it a little differently and we do it with a little bit of an unhealthy edge to it. And that's what has happened to many of us. Some of us are very joyous at this time of year, but there's more than a fair share of us who are the Scrooges among us. The Bah Humbuggers here who are decrying the capitalization of the holiday and who are resenting being pressured into spending at a time when they're trying to move out of debt, or who resent the expectation that they will have to give to people to whom they do not want to give, or complain that Christmas music started sometime around October, and they feel worked, and they feel manipulated into a buying mood as though this is a brazen Pavlovian response, that if they will just play Christmas music, we will become automatons and start buying. (laughs) And when these things are felt and when these things are complained about, and they are so because it happens. And it often happens because we have lost our moorings and we don't understand the rooting behind the celebration in the first place. I heard a story when I was younger 
about a young woman about to uh, go off onto her own, and she was learning how to cook from her mom, and one of the things she wanted to cook was the annual Christmas ham, and so they would make a Christmas ham, and her mom would always cut the end of the ham off and put it on the side and cook it, and so her daughter asked why she did that, and she said, I did that because that's what Grandma did, and that's the way it's done. That's the way hams are cooked, and so she asked Grandma, and Grandma said, well, I did it that way because that's the way Christmas hams are cooked. You cut off the end, you put it, and she said, my mom did that, and mom was uh, grandma, great-grandma was in a nursing home. She asked great-grandma why she cut the end of the ham off and put it, and she said, well, because my pan was too small. It wouldn't fit, so I had to do that. And so, <laughs> now, these years later, we're still doing it, and we've lost our moorings and our understanding of why, and that happens with our holidays. We do these things without an understanding of why, and so we move sideways. So we find ourselves today desperately needing to recover from the drift What's happened is the way that we celebrate has become distorted and the way that we have come at it has brought dissipation. I had a friend who said two years ago, um, you know, it's not even Labor Day yet and I'm already dreading Christmas. Rather than being a deep source of strength and vitality, the way that many Americans have come to celebrate the holiday does just the converse. It saps us of strength, and it saps us of vitality. That's what happens with celebration without preparation. It ends up harming instead of helping. Celebration without preparation leads us to dissipated energy, lost focus, diminished relationship, the very antithesis of the purpose behind why celebrations and festival began. A common complaint around the holidays is how stressful it is to get family together. Well, of course it is. We suck ourselves dry. We drain ourselves of every ounce of gratitude in our souls. We deplete ourselves of the perspective on life's wonderfulness or on love or on hope because we're busy, busy, busy. We're going, going, going. We're doing, doing, doing. And we exhaust every shred of energy that could be focused on helping us have eyes to see and ears to hear. So consequently, we don't have eyes to see and we don't have ears to hear and thus depleted We create the worst possible environment for gathering family. And then we have them all together after a long time of travel and with lots of extra cooking work and are surprised that it doesn't go well. The typical season of celebration is characterized by drinking to excess, by eating to excess, by spending to excess, by stressing to excess all of which conspires to disconnect us from celebration's purpose. There is no time to set apart to see or to hear. Instead, we come to our family gatherings with no interior stability, with no interior anchor, and thus sucked dry. It's no wonder that those times don't go well. We've been trained into a set of cultural norms that are not serving us well because they do not nourish our souls. We unwittingly put ourselves into a frame of mind in which it is very unlikely that the thing the holidays were designed to do will happen. Because the holidays were designed to be times in which families could reconcile The holidays were designed to be times in which people could gain a larger perspective. 
It's very unlikely that during these times when we have expended ourselves and have not preparation, that we're going not have practiced preparation, it's very unlikely that we're going to see the greater truths. It's very unlikely that we're going to hope the greater hopes. Celebration was designed to give us and to give one another a great gift. And we've drifted from that meaningful gift and that meaningful joy and the meaningful wisdom and healing that could happen during this time. And very few of us experience that for this very, very simple reason. It's all party and no preparation. All festivity, no fasting. All jubilation, no reflection. Now there's a residue, there's a vestige left over in our culture that knows it should be different. We see Christmas movies that speak of very hopeful things happening in people's lives. Transformative insights that happen in people's lives. Scrooge sees differently. The family gets reconciled. Something happens inside of us. There is that vestige that knows that this season is a time for seeing the bigger perspective. We know it should be different. But with no rooting in the ancient wisdom of the past, we don't know why that doesn't happen. Why doesn't the Christmas movie happen in my life? And so when it doesn't, we recognize the lack, and then we compensate. We feel the lack. We know inside that something should be happening differently at this time of year. But not knowing what to do, we simply throw money and energy at the problem. In the first lesson, one of the people spoke up and said, I've got a Facebook friend, and my Lord, the stuff she is doing for Advent, every day she does something. She's going to see Christmas lights. She's lighting this thing. She's making these cookies. She's doing this stuff, and I think that's what I should do. If I really wanted to capture Christmas again, I would do all that stuff. And then she thought, if I did all that stuff, I would just die in a pile. (laughs) And so we throw energy at the problem. We throw money at the problem. And, of course, we get very dismal results. Overspending and overworking and overeating and overdrinking are often compensatory actions. We're trying to compensate for something we know should be there that isn't there. But what we're chasing is actually a noble aspiration. It is a noble yearning of the human heart to chase after this thing that the earth and the ancient tradition has taught us is ours to have. And celebration, we know intuitively, should open doors of the heart so that we could experience the goodness of the divine life and the divine love, these transformative processes. That should happen, but absent the moorings of preparation and celebration, it rarely does. Now, what I just said, I could not articulate 25 years ago. I just knew that Christmas was empty and hollow experience for me. And I resented the social pressure that was heaped upon me to spend energy and to spend money at a time just to prop up someone else's preconceived idea of what should happen. So, with that being in my mind, when Denise and I married, she was not as jaded as I was. Her experience of the holidays leading up to that time had been closer to the ancient wisdom She had had the bandwidth to think the bigger ideas. And so she would do a few very precious traditions. She would bake. 
And while she baked, she would think about the people for whom she was baking. And she would buy a few gifts. She didn't buy many, but she was very thoughtful in what she bought and for whom she bought them. And it was just as much an exercise in thinking of those people as it was in purchasing. And so her having this preciousness and me having this jadedness, we had more than a little bit of conflict the first few years of our marriage. And it was hurtful to her that I resisted her intuitive understanding of the preciousness that is embedded in celebration. Now, I used to be better at words than she was. That's no longer the case. She's caught up. (laughs) And not having the whole picture has never stopped me from using my words, so I could make a very articulate case for the little bit of the picture that I did have, and I did that, which left her with very few options but to ignore me. (laughs) So she did. And she celebrated, and she created joy for our children, and she loved the people that were precious to her in very tangible, very touchable, gift-giving ways. And as is true for many of you, I suspect, I wish I could go back and redo those early years with the understanding that I have today. Because I would have bah humbugged less And I would have resisted less. And I would have reframed the holidays according to the ancient wisdom. And instead of trying to take away what I saw as bad, I would have tried to add in what I thought was good. I would have suggested alternatives. I would have tried to help the reshaping of our traditions in a way that helped them line up with these ancient moorings, with this ancient wisdom. I would have affirmed and commended Denise for the parts that she got so right. Now, just based on the few conversations that I've had over these last several weeks, it is not unlikely that there are a few of you in a similar position to where I was 25 years ago. And if you're young enough that you've still got time, (laughs) let me help you learn from someone who did it wrong. Bah humbug less, reframe more. Don't settle for what our culture does. That's toxic. Don't settle for dissipation, but insert the tradition of preparation. Make precious the times set aside for quiet, for reflection. I so much appreciated what Janaea suggested with her children, to go buy an Advent candle for each of them and then tell a story as they light that candle. Just one simple thing, very simple, creating the time, not rushing, not hurrying, a simple tradition. It prepares our hearts, it orients us to the greater truths. Rather than jettisoning the holiday, which was my instinct, I would encourage you to think about fixing something that is very precious that has gotten broken. Redeeming celebration is a doorway into rediscovering a very important element of God life that which is in us, that which is among us. So my encouragement would be to us as a community to refocus the holidays. Again, let's not be led along by a blind culture because that would simply be the blind leading the blind. The way that our culture celebrates is toxic. It is true. Let's not be just carried along and do what is the expected norm. Reconsider 
and re-energize the holiday days by inserting different traditions that have those preparatory parts associated with them. Give the holidays the energy attention they merit because they are soul-refreshing gifts that we give ourselves and we give one another. And they can be that again, what they were intended to be in your life and in your home, in my life and in my home. Add in both preparation and celebration, giving ourselves to the greater truths, the loftier hopes. So last week somebody said, well now, how would you think about preparation? And to be honest, it's the 22nd. You're probably not going to get this in before the 25th. But you've probably got some decorations up, and you're probably going to take them down, and you're probably going to put them in the attic. When you do, put a piece of paper on top and write this on it. All right? So you'll be prepared next year when you pull out your decorations to think these kinds of thoughts. Three words. Repentance, remembrance, reflection. Look at that. I don't do that. That's what good preachers do. You know, just three R's. Did you see that? I never do that. I just felt so surprised. (laughs) Repentance is a religious-sounding word, and I almost apologize for using it, but it started with R. (laughs) What it means is very simple. It means to step back from one path and to walk another one. So I would encourage you, during the weeks leading up to the feast... During the time when you were setting aside moments for quiet and for stillness, during the times when you're not caught up in the frenzy, when you're not going that, when you are creating those times, use some of that time to think about where your life has gone off track, where the way that you relate in this relationship has gone off track, the way that you respond around food or around entertainment or around work, where that has gone off track. Spend some time reflecting on a path that you have walked down, the effect of which is hurting you or hurting the people that you love. And think about what would be required for you to back up, make a turn, and walk a new path. And think about small steps, baby steps, small things that you could do to begin a process of change. Things that you could do to make a wrong right. An apology that you can make that begins reinforcing in your own understanding a different way of being. The rewiring of a simple habit that would lead potentially to a greater habit later. That's what that religious sounding word means. Step back from one path, walk another. Spend some of the time during this Advent, during next Advent, on repentance. Second, Make time for remembrance. Take some time for yourself or together with people that you love and remember the good things, the blessed things, the things that have been, the things that are now part of your life. And then, this seems to be critical to the process in my own life. Maybe it will be in yours as well. Write them down. There's something about committing that to paper. There's something about putting that down that makes it real. Remember. Repentance, remembrance. This remembrance one, in a very real way, is kind of where we started this Advent series on the Sunday after Thanksgiving. When I remember I talked about intentionally stirring up gratitude in our hearts. Remembering the blessings in your life. Don't let them fall into the background of your consciousness. That's remembrance. Set aside some time. 
Make a list. Remember life's goodnesses. Repentance, remembrance, and finally, reflection. You are different than you were when you experienced that profound day in your life. If that profound day happened three days ago, three years ago, or three decades ago, you're a different person today than you were when you experienced it. Which means you have a more completed understanding of truth. You have a broader understanding of the divine. You know more about yourself, particularly if you've been learning the Enneagram, or if you've been paying attention to the spiritual journey, or if you've been feeding your soul. You are different than you were three days, three years, or three decades ago. And so take the you that you are today and spend some time reflecting on those significant events in your life and see what you think about them now, what you understand about them now. If you have been soaking in the truth that God is good and you are safe, what does that mean for what happened when you were 17? If you've been soaking in the truth that God is good and you are safe, what does that mean for what happened in that conflict that you went through some time ago? And begin to reflect on the events of your life and spend some time thinking about those events. A good way to do that is to prepare to tell a testimony. Now that's again an old-time religion word, but it's a powerful word. It means to tell a story. To tell a story that you have infused with meaning. You have assigned an understanding to this story, and you tell the events that happened, and then you tell what those events meant to you. That's what a testimony is. So prepare. If you have children, prepare to tell your story to your children in a way that is age-appropriate for them. Prepare to tell your story to someone you love, to a dear friend. This happened to me, and this is what I have learned from it. This happened to me, and I saw something wonderful about myself. This happened to me, and it reveals a trap that I tend to fall into again and again and again. And this time, I have been thinking about how I might begin to step away from that trap, not fall into it again. Reflection. Repentance. Looking for some baby steps that you can step back from one path that is hurtful to you and those you love and walk another path. Remembrance. Making a list of the goodnesses that life has for us. Reflection taking time to rethink and to reframe the experiences that we've had in our lives in light of something new that we understand about life from this spiritual journey, and then telling it, telling that story. In a way, that last one, reflection, is a form of the self-awareness and self-disclosure that we were talking about during the announcements. When we talked about conflict resolution, it is this ancient way of understanding what goes on in the deeper layers of who I am and then telling it to another. So restoring meaning to celebration means restoring preparation to celebration. And preparation means that we're going to have a better opportunity finding the ancient wisdom, finding the ancient truth of hope. It's going to help us hear the lessons that are broadcast to us each year by the earth and the skies, the great teachers that God has given us. And when we step back from the culturally imposed blindness about how celebration happens, 
because this culture has lost its moorings to the understanding of why celebrations exist in the first place. When we step back from that, we realize we need this moment of preparation. And we can do that through focusing on repentance, focusing on remembrance, and focusing on reflection. Well, there it is. That is our Advent series on Advent. And I hope that it restores soul health to you and to your family, to your friendships. Holy Spirit of God, may we celebrate the feast of Christmas this winter solstice. And may we celebrate the feast of Easter this coming springtime with hearts that are oriented to the greater truths, to the ancient, wise, and annual rhythm that is rooted in preparation, which gives us eyes to see and ears to hear, so that when we celebrate, it reinforces these great truths that we can carry into the year before us. May we, as we come to this coming year, this coming Lent and Easter, this coming Advent and Christmas, in this rhythm of preparation and celebration, May ours be ears that are restored to hearing, and may ours be eyes that are restored to seeing. And may we have the fortitude to stand against the habit that develops over years, to stand against the habit that is formed by, informed by a culture that has lost its own way. And may we set out new ways of celebration, new ways of being together. Be that so, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.